Good morning. Morning. Before you sit down, I want you to do something physical that's going to help anchor this sermon. So I want you just to turn around, just all the way around. There we go. And you can turn the other way so you don't get dizzy. There we go. And now you may take your seats. Very good. This morning, I'm here to speak to you about how to live expecting God opportunities. And I feel like I've got a real word from God and He gave me a picture this morning to help us as we come into the rest of 2021 and how we approach opportunities. And I felt God very clearly give me this picture behind of these three doors and that some of us approach opportunities like this where it's doors and it's a little bit like I don't know which door to take. I don't know which door to go through. And it's a bit risky, isn't it? Because you don't know what's on the other side of the door. You don't know which door to open because it's difficult to know what opportunity to grasp because the other side is unknown. But this morning, what I believe God wants to impart to us is that opportunity for us in 2021 looks like a revolving door. It's a revolving door to give opportunities and to receive opportunities. And I loved revolving doors as a kid. They were like, after the playground, favourite thing to be in. Because you'd have to time it right, do you remember? Like when the revolving door's going, and you'd be like, oh, will I go, will I go? All right, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. We're going, and we're going, and we're going. And then your mum would like go out wherever she was, and you'd be like, oh, I'm going around again, off we go. And you go around. And I want you to think about opportunity like that as a revolving door. That it's not just an opportunity to give, but it's also an opportunity to receive. And that's what God wants to talk to us about this morning. And at the end, we're going to have an opportunity to receive. On this Pentecost Sunday, we're going to have an opportunity to come and receive something fresh from the Holy Spirit this morning because we need that if we're going to be able to give. Let's pray as we come around the Word of God. God, we love you. We thank you that you want to do something in our midst this morning. You want us to give what we have so that we can receive from you this morning. And so, Father, I pray for every heart to be open, every ear to be attuned to what it is that you're saying, Lord Jesus, for every person watching online, that your presence be with them as they're interacting with the service as well. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, we're going to focus in Galatians 6, and I'm going to preach quick this morning because I want us to have that time of ministry at the end. And uh, we're focusing in Galatians 6. Now, Galatians, if you're looking for a good book in the Bible to read, this is it. It's a great book. It's a manifesto for Christian freedom, basically a playbook for how to live a spirit-led and fruitful life from finding your identity in Christ. So if any of those things sound interesting to you, then Galatians is a good book to be in. And towards the end of Galatians, there's a whole section that Paul goes through, who's the author of the book, that talks about how to live by the Spirit, which is very apt as we're here together on this Pentecost Sunday. And towards the end of that section in chapter 6, verse 10, it says this verse, Therefore, so he's just been talking about how do you live by the Spirit, and then he finishes off saying, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And that word opportunity is a Greek word, kairos, which as you'll know means time or season. But within this context, within the context of what Paul's talking about, it actually means something a little bit different. It means a suitable time, a right moment, a favorable time. And I find that really interesting that Paul chooses this sort of time to talk about, suitable, favorable, right time. Because if I was going to describe the environment and the time in which the book was being written, I would not use those words. 
So the church, this letter that is being written is, we think, not just to one church, but to quite a few churches in a region called Galatia. And so this region is very heavily influenced by Rome and empire and uh, um, emperor worship. And so if you lived in the area, you would be expected, as the whole of society was, to go to the temples, to sacrifice, to worship um, the emperor and the empire, and that was what you did. The Jews who lived in the region, they wrote a note to the teacher and said, please may we be excused because we uh, don't believe in that. And the teacher wrote back and said, yes, you may. You may be excused. And so they were given a pass out where they didn't have to go and sacrifice and worship in the temples because of their faith. But they had to pray for um, the emperor and for the empire. And they were like, okay, we can do that. So, So they did that. Now, Paul comes and the... Christian church comes and people start getting saved and they're getting saved predominantly out of the Jewish faith into the Christian faith. And so now there's a bit of tension because as a Christian, they know that they now can't sacrifice to the empire and to the empire. It sounds a bit Star Wars like, doesn't it? Uh, They can't sacrifice and and worship and pray to um, the emperor and, and, and to that. So they're, so then what they do, they're quite clever. They say, oh, well, Our heritage is in the Jewish faith. So the past that you gave them now applies to us. This is our whole past as well. We don't have to pray. Now, the Jews, understandably, were a little bit ticked by that because um, it was bringing attention and pressure onto them. And so they were like, they disowned them. They were like, we don't know who these guys are. They're not part of our family. They don't believe what they're saying. So somebody, interestingly, problem-solving was questionable, but what they said was, is right, okay, if we need to have a pass out to, so that we don't have to pray uh, for, like, to the empire and to like, emperor worship and all those different things, then uh, we should just get circumcised because then that's going to prove that we're kind of part of the Jewish family and that will be our pass. And so that's the context into which Galatians is written, was people saying, all the guys, not a good time to be a guy in the Galatian church. All the guys, here's what we should do. And then Paul's saying, no, you don't need to do that. And all these different things. And so if we're thinking about that as a context, I would not describe that, particularly as a guy, would not describe that as a suitable time or a right time or a favorable time to be doing good to all people. Because there's external and internal pressure from all sides, from within the church, from without the church, from the secular society, from the Jewish friends. There was pressure everywhere. And yet, Paul says this as you have opportunity, as you have a favorable time, as you have a right moment, as you have a suitable time. And he says all of those different things, it's still all of those things. It's suitable, right, and favorable. And it's a tense time, especially for the guys. They're facing hostility on every front. And I find that really challenging and encouraging in equal measure that Paul, into that context, writes, therefore, as you have opportunity, do good to everybody, especially those in the family of faith. And I find that challenging because every time is an opportune time to do good to everybody, and especially the family of faith. And I find that really encouraging and challenging because every time is the right time because it's a double-edged sword. Because sometimes I can come at my opportunities and think this is not a good time. It's not a good time for me. It's not the opportune time. Things are busy. Things aren't settled down. Things aren't as I would like them to be. But Paul challenges me and says, no, every time 
all time is favorable. It's always sowing season. It's always a good time to be able to share the love of Jesus and to be able to bring people further into his kingdom. Paul says there is no bad time. It's all favorable. It's all good. It's all opportune because God is good and he's always looking for ways to help his children come closer to him. We've been brought close But there's so many people that aren't in our church that you know that you're connected to who God is wanting to help bring closer to him to take those steps further forward. And I think what happens when we think about opportunities in our life, sometimes what happens, and I know this is true for me, is that the external and the internal pressures of life unconsciously make me decide this is not a good time at the minute. This is not an opportune time for me to be thinking about other people and sharing my faith and doing all of those things. It's pretty tricky at the minute. And maybe there's not pressure from Rome and hopefully there's no Facebook group internally somewhere in Emerge Church saying that all guys need to be circumcised. Like we will shut that down if that is uh, circulating on Facebook. But maybe we've not got that kind of pressure, but we do have pressure of things not being convenient of our working days and our working weeks just seeming to come and go and go quicker and quicker. Have you noticed that? The time just seems to be speeding up, that we don't feel courageous, that when the moments come, we don't really feel like we have the courage or the boldness to say something, that we get busy with kids and life and jobs and family and friends and the things that we really want to do and still don't seem to have time to fit those in. And we get sometimes in the habit of not looking for those opportunities. And maybe we even stop praying for them. And we start asking God for us to help, for him to help us to see people the way that he sees them. Because when God does that, it's really inconvenient, isn't it? Because you start to get your heart broken for people. And then that means that you have to spend time. And so perhaps things just got a little busy and we stopped asking for that. And maybe we stopped expecting. And perhaps like me, as I've done in times, maybe you found yourself being even a little bit numb bit numb to the opportunities that are around you in the world and even numb to the opportunities that are around us in the family of faith that are in this room right now, the opportunities to do good to all people. And so because of that, our opportunities just seem to come along less and less. And it's not that they're not there. It's just that we don't see them. We walk past them. We're not attuned to them. We're not looking for them. And so we don't see them, even though they are there. So as I was thinking about this and I was like, oh, feeling very convicted. I was like, Holy Spirit, like God, how do we how do we do this? How do we live with an expectancy that God opportunities are just gonna swing for us, that we're gonna see them and we're gonna have them and we're gonna be able to take them. And as you would think, with God and his amazing timing and everything, he was like, Julie, it's the Holy Spirit. Of course it is. You need to live filled with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit was present at creation. He's not a creative force. He's a creative personality. And he loves to create things. And I think one of his favorite things to do is to create opportunities. Because he loves the, the, the opportunity for us to work out our faith. And he loves the opportunity for people who don't yet know Jesus to come closer to him. And so I think he would be so stoked this week if we just said, Holy Spirit, can you show me some opportunities? Would you give me an opportunity? Would you help me to see it? Would you have my ears attuned? Would my heart be ready? Would my mouth be ready to speak? Holy Spirit, would you help me to see it? Because he's always wanting to express who Jesus is. And if you don't think you're creative, then respectfully, you're really wrong. 
you're very wrong because you're made in the image of a creator God. And so you can't, you may not paint well, fair enough. You may not sing. You may never audition for the worship team or write something amazing, but you are creative because you're made in God's image. And so this creative uh, energy comes out of you all the time. The Holy Spirit wanting to bring people close, wanting his children to take a step closer to him. The Holy Spirit prompts us, the Bible tells us. It tells us that he fills us with courage and boldness. Acts is full of people who are like, oh, I really can't do this. And then they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they were like, do you know what? We really can. And off they go and they start preaching. And I love, I love it when Peter's preaching the first sermon and you got this real big like account of what he says. And then the writer, apparently Peter waffled on a bit too long because the writer's like, and Peter persuaded them with many other words. It was like, we're not writing everything else down. He just, he kept going for a long time. But it's this boldness that they have. He gives us words to say, Jesus promises, that when we don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit creatively is going to give us words to say. The Holy Spirit is the powerhouse of opportunities, and I'm convinced that he loves doing it. I'm convinced it's one of his most favorite things, that if we asked him this week, Holy Spirit, show me an opportunity this week, he'd be like, yes, here I go, I'm going to line it up, and you're going to be here, and they're going to be there, and they won't know, and you won't know, and then we're going to get you together, and I'm going to give you the words to say, and the courage and the boldness, and you'll feel all the butterflies, and you're going to say it anyway, and then you'll be like, oh, I should do this more often in the car on the way home, and it's just going to be great, because he loves to set those things up, because he's so creative. He loves to do those things, and he will take care of the rest. It's up to him. It's not up to us to lead somebody to repentance. It's up to us just to be to obedience, obedient and say things, and then it's the Holy Spirit's job. It's his job to do the rest. Our job is just to speak when he asks us to. So I'm going to talk to you about four stories about opportunities to give, four things in my life where I very clearly heard the Holy Spirit. And, and they're, they're going to be different to what it is for you because as unique as I am, thank you, and as unique as you are, it's going to be different. And the, the fun thing is, is that you're totally unique and the person that the Holy Spirit wants to make you encounter, they're entirely unique as well. So every interaction is going to be really creative and wonderful and just different. But hopefully these four examples will just help you to understand a little bit about how the Holy Spirit can work. Plus it makes good fun of me, which everybody likes. All right. First thing the Holy Spirit does is he gives this. Opportunity knocks. That's a nice little in-joke for all the UK people in the room because we had a great game show that was called Opportunity Knocks in the UK. So Opportunity Knocks. When we lived in the UK, we lived right on, down on the end of a street in this very poor area in the town because that's all we could afford. And about um, eight houses up was a crack house and they were really noisy between 12 and 4 in the morning. The rest of the time, lovely neighbours because it was just all quiet and they were sleeping. So it's interesting personalities on the whole street. And then one day, a lady moved in across the road from us and um, I'd never met anybody like her before. She used to sunbathe. Do you remember this now? She used to sunbathe in a bikini in the front yard. No grass, just on this really old deck chair. There is never bikini weather in the UK. Let me just tell you that. It's never beach body season ever in the UK. But she'd be out there and she had this um, face that was a really hard life. She had a difficult life. You could just tell. And she was loud and noisy and, and everything that I was not, right? So then, so then one day, on the door, I hear like, 
like this knocking. Now you have to understand, to two introverts, that might as well have been the police with a battering ram. We were like, who is that? Who is knocking on the door? Oh my goodness. No one's coming around. We don't know of anybody coming. Who is knocking on the door? So it was like this real big deal. And we were like, who's answering? And he was like, go answer. I'm like, okay, okay, I'll go answer. So I opened the door and she's there. And she's like, Aya. And I'm like, hi. She's like, can I have some money? And I was like, what? I'm like, I don't know you. And she's like, my gas has run out. Because in the, in the lower economic houses in the UK, like your TV and your gas and your hot water, you have to feed it. It's like a meter thing. So then when your money runs out, it's run out. That's it. So she was like, I need some money. I've got no hot water. TV's not working, blah, blah, blah. I was like, right? Thinking, what does this have to do with me? And uh, she was like, so I need some money. And I was like, okay. So I went and got about $40, which was 20 pounds, which at the time was a lot for us. So I give her this money. And I'm like, here you go. She's like, thanks. Just walks off. I'm like, right, okay. Close the door. Maybe about six weeks later, like, bah, 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 bah. She's like, open the door. Aya. I'm like, hello. She's like, I need some money. And I'm like, oh, no. Like, and what, honestly, what I felt in my heart was like, I've fed the stray dog. And now that it's just going to come and then this is going to be it. Like, you know, when you're told, don't, don't feed the strays. And I was like, that's how bad my heart was. I was like, oh, gosh. So I'm like, all right. So I'll give you some money. Off you go. So then this just continues. So she'd, she'd just bang on the door, really bad timing always. And I'd be like, okay. So then eventually I invited her in for a cup of tea and, you know, we're talking about her life and find out why she'd had such a hard life. She'd had like 18 miscarriages and she'd had maybe, I think, 10 kids and four of them and died and just, just terrible, 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 terrible life. And I'm, so then I feel really bad, right? Because I'm like, oh, gosh, I feel not like a Christian. And um, so then we keep going. And then one day she bangs on the door and she's like, where'd you go every Sunday? And I'm like, oh, we go to church. She's like, ah, just walks off. All right. Good. A few weeks later, bang, 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 on the door. And she's like, have you got a Bible? And I was like, yes, yes, I do. So me, you know, fresh out of Bible college, thinking I'm all amazing. I was like, I've got the message Bible because it's really relatable and it's in, you know, it's in easy to understand English because I'm thinking perhaps... Like, her reading level isn't that good. So I'm like, here's a message Bible. And I packaged it up all nicely with, like, a bath bomb and different things. And I was like, here you go. You know, you can have a nice bath and, you know, relax and read the Bible. And she's like, thanks. And off she goes. Anyway, like, an hour later, she, and she's there in a towel, like, sopping wet with my message Bible. She's like, I can't read this. And I'm like, oh, okay. Thinking, oh, like, do we go kids Bible? And she's like, I need a new King James. And I'm like, what? Because she grew up on a new King James, which I didn't know. She's like, I don't know what this is talking about, but this isn't the Bible. Give me a new King James. Okay, so I went and got a new King James, give it to her. And over the course of about another year and a half and many cups of tea and many interruptions and being over at her house and coming to my house and all that kind of stuff, I was able to lead her to Jesus. And it was this amazing moment where I was just like, oh, God, you're so good. And I'm just really rubbish. And you're just wonderful that in spite of me and my terrible attitude, you actually love people enough to help bring them into the kingdom. And then we were just about to leave for Australia. And my workplace had just bought me some really, really nice earrings, like really nice earrings. So I'm wearing these really nice earrings as I'm leading this lady to Christ. 
And she's like, I like your earrings. And I was, I was like, yes, I like them too. <laughs> Trying to do a subtle don't ask. And then the Holy Spirit was like, Julie, just give her your earrings. Just give her your earrings because you actually don't care that much about these earrings and they will mean the world to her. So somewhere in the UK, wherever she lives now, there's this lady with this lovely, lovely set of earrings. But opportunity knocks. It knocks and it was persistent and it was inconvenient most of the time. And I had a bad attitude probably 99.9% of the way through. Opportunity knocks. And perhaps you need to knock. Perhaps you need to go and say, and I felt this very specific. I don't know why I felt this, but some, I think somebody needs to go and knock on the door of somebody that you need to say sorry to. And it's been a barrier and you know you need to go and do that. Opportunity knocks. The opportunity is going to open up as you knock and you say sorry. Opportunity prays. So recently, I've had to be in hospital for some different procedures. And so I was um, in the recovery ward after having a general anesthetic. And they'd done something that had just made me feel really, really sick. So I was like sat up feeling really queasy. And there's this lovely plate of sandwiches and fruit and a lovely looking cup of tea that I really wanted to eat, but I couldn't because I was going to vomit everywhere. And so this lady comes over whose job it is to look after people who are recovering. And she's like, you doing okay? I was like, no, I feel really sick. And then she's like, oh, okay. So she's checking things. And then she's like, so what do you do? And I was like, oh, I'm a pastor. Now, normally two things happen when you say that. Either they go, oh, that's interesting. And then there's like a pause and then they come back with something else because it's piqued their interest. Or they go, oh, and then they never come back and they don't say anything. <laughs> it's usually two things that happen to me. So, so she went, oh, and I was like, okay, so you're going to circle back around in a minute. Okay, fair enough. So I'm like, feeling really queasy, like, like just nearly vomiting. And she comes back and she's like, what do you think about forgiveness? And I'm like, whoa, this is a broad topic. Like, goodness me. Like, you know, not, you know, what's your name and all that kind of stuff. No, just straight in. And then I've been looking at Jesus and how Jesus answers people. And it, uh, often what Jesus does is he answers a question with a question because then it helps you know where that person's coming from rather than you just jumping in with, well, the Bible says this. She's like, what do you think about forgiveness? And I was like, what do you think about forgiveness? And so then I hear this big tale of woe to do with her son and, and a dad that's just been terrible and she's helping her son walk through this unforgiveness. And she's like, I know that he needs to forgive, but he doesn't know how. And so, uh, so I said, you know, unforgiveness is like, you know, drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. And she's like, oh, that's good. That's good. So she writes it down in her phone. <laughs> it's like, oh, nice. And so we have this conversation and, and I, you know, I just said, you know, you're such a good mum. And just honoured what she'd done, the fact that she'd worked so hard not to transfer her hurt onto her son. And she's trying to help her son through, just honoured what she'd done. And at the end, I just said, would, would you like me to pray for your son? And she's like, yeah, yeah, why not? So, so we just did a really quick prayer, you know, thank you for whatever his name was. You know, thank you that he's, you know, seeking forgiveness in his life. God, I pray that you help him and you lead him and that you just show him how much you love him. And, and I prayed for her and bless her in a job and blah, 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 blah. Like 30 seconds. And I had my eyes open. Jason did not appear in the background, like, like strumming for the atmosphere that was just there. No Jason. So I kept my eyes open and, you know, and it was all really normal. And I've seen this happen. My mum is amazing at this. Hi, mum, if you're watching. She does this all the time. 
any cafe, it's quite embarrassing sometimes, any cafe that we're in at the end, she'll be like, hey, what's your name? And so then and she'll be like, would you like prayer for anything? And of all the times that I've seen my mum do this, which is many, 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 many times, nobody's ever said no. Nobody says no. They ask for the same things that you're asking for. They ask for health. They ask for their friends, their family, their businesses, the things that are going on in their heart. And so I want to encourage you, maybe this week, as you're at the checkout, and you check out and your Kellogg's are going past, just ask the checkout person, is there anything I can pray for you about? If you're going into a small business, you know, we've found a new cafe that we like that we're probably going to go and frequent lots now. So we're just going to make friends with that person and just say, how can we pray for your business? How can we, and, and I promise you, 99.9% of the time they will not say no. And if they do, well then, at least they know that somebody cared enough to ask them. Opportunity, praise. It was inconvenient when I felt very sick to be asked all of those things, but the opportunity was there. Third thing is, is opportunity obeys. When I was um, home from university and I had a part-time job in an old people's nursing home, which was wonderful but very difficult work, it was very early shifts. So I'd be up and out of the house for half past five. Now, I have to understand, I'm not a morning person and like, I'm, I'm not barely a Christian at that time. So I'm like out of the house, walking up the street. And the Holy Spirit, clear as a bell, says, Julie, go back and get your Bible. Because this was in the times before phones with apps and Bibles and things. So I had to have a physical Bible. So I was like, so I was literally on the street going, no. And he's like, no, go back and get your Bible. And I'm like, I'm going to be late for the bus. He's like, you won't. Go back and get your Bible. I was like, seriously? Yes. All right. So with a bad attitude, I went back to my house, grabbed my Bible, terrible attitude on the bus, was like, come on then, Lord, speak to me, thinking, because I was in Bible college, I was thinking, maybe I'm going to get like this amazing revelation, I'm going to go back, and in college, like in chapel, I'm going to preach it, and you know, the presence of God's going to fall, and it'll be amazing, so I'm reading for my 45-minute bus journey, nothing, I feel absolutely nothing, no tingles, nothing, nothing, revelation, rubbish, so I was like, well, that was a waste of time, wasn't it? Got three hours, I was cranky. Remember, I was very cranky at that time in the morning. Three hours into my shift, I'm sorting this lady out. And, um, and she's very, very frail, near the end of life. And she said, Julia, I'm really tired. And I said, oh, okay, okay, we'll, we'll sort your pillow out. And we'll lower the bed and you can have a nap. She's like, no, 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 I'm tired of living. And I was like, whoa, that was a big left turn that I was not expecting. She said, you know, when I was a little girl, my mum used to read the Psalms to me. And I walked away from God after many years. But I'd really love just to hear the 23rd Psalm and some Psalms that my mum read to me. And I was like, oh, of course you do. So I went <coughs> and got my Bible out of my locker. And I sat and I read the 23rd Psalm, which I probably could have recited. But then there was all these other ones that she wanted to hear. And, and so I sat for maybe an hour or so. And at the end of that, she was like, I really want to make sure that I'm right with Jesus. So I was like, okay. So we did that together, which you're not really supposed to do, but it was a Christian nursing home, so you kind of can. And then I came, I went home from work, and then two days later came, and she's now with Jesus. She passed away two days later. And that was very sobering for me. It was really sobering. It's the first time that I realized, goodness, this can be life and death sometimes. And I'm sure in God's graciousness, he would have worked it around another way. But I would have missed out on the opportunity to, to see what God did with my 
terrible attitude and me just not wanting to do something and actually just obeying what he told me to do the first time. Opportunity obeys. And it was inconvenient again. Last thing on this bit is opportunity says. So a couple of weeks ago, we were in hospital. And um, trust, I can't say what was happening. But what I can say is just trust me when I say I was in the most um, unbecoming of situations and positions. So it was, I was having a procedure done. All the ladies will know. It was not a good opportune time to be talking to anybody, right? So I'm in a very compromising scenario. This lady walks in and, and she's like, oh, hi, and we're having this little chat. And she's like, what do you do? And I'm like, seriously, like... <laughs> This is not the time to be having this conversation. And then, and then something was delayed. So I'm in a very, very compromising position for 20 minutes, right? 20 minutes while she's talking to me and we're having this conversation. And, you know, she's like, oh, so what do you do? And you're a pastor and blah, blah, blah. I said, yes. And then whole lots of people are praying. And she's like, oh, I'm getting really teary. And I was like, good, get the person in. This is not a good position to be in for 20 minutes. And so we just had this conversation, and I wish I could tell you that at the end of that conversation, I led her to Jesus, which would be the most bizarre way to lead somebody to Jesus, let me assure you. But it didn't. But what I had the opportunity to do was just say some stuff, which just let her know that there's a family of faith that actually care about other people and, and are praying and are, and are doing things. And, and that was very foreign to her. She was like, oh, my goodness. And so what happened then was she just took a little bit of a step of a closer to the kingdom because she had the opportunity to hear of what the family of faith and what the family of God looked like. And this week, opportunity says it was inconvenient. None of those moments are what I would classify as a suitable, favorable or right time for my wants, my needs and my plans. And yet the Holy Spirit thought those were all great times. Great times to be able to give. Great times to be able to say something. Great times to be able to help somebody creatively just step a little bit closer to the kingdom. So we talked about the opportunity to give. We're going to finish by looking at the opportunity to receive. Because remember I said that's a revolving door. It's not just a door that we walk through, but it's a revolving door that God wants to get us in this morning. And the best illustration that I could think about this was actually from Acts 3. And we don't have time to read it, so I'll just pull out the important bits. So after they've been filled with the Holy Spirit and you know, lots of people have been saved, Peter and John are heading to the temple to worship because that's where they're worshiping at the time. And there's a beggar there. And you would think in this scenario, in this opportunity that's presenting itself, this beggar has nothing to give because he's asking for things. He doesn't have anything. And he's asking for money. I find it really interesting, though, if you could put that scripture up, Anthony. It says that, the, so he's asking everybody, and it sounds like his attention is just going everywhere. But then Peter and John say, look at us. And then it says this interesting phrase, the man gave, him their, the man gave them his attention. And so the only thing that he's got to give in that moment is his attention. He doesn't have money, he doesn't have faith, he doesn't have expectation. All he has is his attention. And he gives it to Peter and John. And then Peter and John say these amazing words, you know, you know, silver and gold we don't have, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And then he, you know, goes leaping and praising and jumping and all of that good song. 
And I love the circular nature of this miracle. I love the fact that it's give and receive. I love the fact that he came with nothing but his attention. That's the only thing he's got to give. And in that moment, as he gives that, he receives what he needs. I love how Peter and John come and it feels like they've got nothing to give and yet they give of what they do have, which is the Holy Spirit and Jesus. And that's enough for this man to have his life completely changed. This circular movement of giving and receiving in opportunities the two-way nature of a miracle, that even in apparent lack, what you do have is enough. That the opportunity to receive is a revolving door. It's not just a door that you open up and step through. It's a revolving door that you can give and receive. And when you give what you've got, you get what you need. When you give what you've got, you get what you need. You see this time and time again. The woman with the issue of blood. She has nothing to give in this moment except her courage and her desperation. She takes the opportunity. She receives her healing. The widow with Elijah, where she, when Elijah comes and says, give me something to eat. And she's like, I don't have anything. All I've got is one meal and me and my son are going to eat that and die. All she's got in that moment is her obedience and her trust. And she takes the opportunity to feed Elijah and she receives back miracles in her life. The flour and the oil don't run out. Jairus, when he's in that moment and his daughter's already died because the woman Q jumped and got her miracle before him. And in that moment, when the opportune time has passed, the time for the miracle has passed, the sensible time has gone, the right time for it is gone. And yet in that moment, what he has to bring to the table is his patience and his persistence. That's all he's got left. He hasn't even got hope at that moment, but he brings his patience and his persistence and he sees the moment and he receives his daughter back from the dead. Peter, right at the start of the, the ministry together, all he's got when his mother-in-law is ill is his friendship with Jesus. He doesn't have anything. I don't even think he's got much expectation at that point. But all he's got to leverage is his friendship with Jesus. And he says, come to my house. And they go. And then that opportunity is taken. And then Peter's mother-in-law receives her healing. And then bonus, everybody gets a meal because that's what mums do. Even if they're just like up from the dead, let's put the kettle on. Let's get everybody sat down and let's have some food. Because they took the opportunity. The temple guard in the Garden of Gethsemane, just after he's had his ear lopped off, I think he's got nothing to give in this moment. He doesn't have, bring anything to the table. He's just been maimed by a disciple. But in that moment, he's only got his humility to allow the very person who he's there to arrest and condemn to death. That's all he's got is his humility to allow Jesus to pick up his ear and put it back on and sort it out. That's all he's got. And yet he brings that and he doesn't shy away and go, no, I'm not being touched by you. And because of that, he lives the rest of his life, as far as we know, with two ears and hearing perfectly and telling the story to his kids. Let me tell you that I've been told that story. The mother in Canaan that ambushes Jesus and she's not supposed to be there and she's not supposed to talk to him, but her daughter is desperately ill. And Jesus even says to her, I'm not here for you right now. And all she's got in that moment is her wit and her cheekiness and her boldness to come with a circular argument and say, yeah, but even the dogs get the crumbs. And in that, all she has to give, she's got no right to ask anything of Jesus. And she brings her courage and her wit and her cheekiness and her daughter receives her healing in that moment. In the natural, as the band comes up, please, all these people came with nothing to give. And yet when they give what they've got, 
they get what they need. When they give what they got, they get what they need. And I wonder as we close this morning and we finish just with a time of worship, I wonder as you're thinking and you're asking the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, give me opportunities this week. You may feel like, Julie, I don't have anything to give. I don't have eloquent words. I don't have boldness. I don't have courage to speak. I don't have energy. I feel like I'm running on empty. But Pentecost took fearful, timid people who are in a room together, not expecting something to happen. And it made them bold and it gave them courage and it made them go out and it made them speak to people that they never would have spoken to before. And if we want to take the opportunity to give to somebody, then I believe this morning God wants us to take the opportunity to receive this morning. That if you don't feel like you've got enough, if you don't feel like you have the words to say, if you don't feel like you've got the boldness, if you don't feel like you even want to talk to people about Jesus this week, then you just bring what you've got. Just bring the little that you have in your hand. Just bring your attention. Just bring your desperation if it's that. Just bring your brokenness. Just bring what it is in your hand because when you give what you've got, you'll get what you need. I wonder if you could stand with me this morning.